All right, Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit, begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with, so- beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all the peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Well, thank you so much for uh, the invitation. And uh, Luke, if you're listening, and I think you, you said you would be listening to this at some point, hello to you too. Um, I look forward to seeing you here sometime too. Uh, it is great to, to come. I've, I've been part of the Trinity Network for a very long time, um, but this is the first time I've come to Trinity Golden Grove, so it's great to be with you. Um, let's look at the Word of God and ask Him to work in our hearts. Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us this word for life and for health and for everything we need in, in, in life. But Lord, we pray that this morning you'd help us to lift our eyes to the horizon and uh, to see the big picture of what you're doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what are, what are we hoping for in life? What are we hoping for, I guess, for the world? I guess at the moment during COVID, uh, maybe we're just hoping for life to return to normal. That'd be nice. I was recently at the chiropractor and uh, there I was lying face down with my spine being adjusted and he asked me what I was working on at the moment. I told him I was prepping a talk about a man who was unable to walk probably because of spinal problems. And this man is healed by Jesus' apostles and it tells us that God values our bodies. Now my chiropractor, he's not a believer, and but we got on to talking about bodies and the importance of bodies to God. God came in a human body. After Jesus' death, his body was raised. His spirit didn't go off somewhere and leave the body to rot behind in the tomb. And as a result, I said to my chiropractor, Christians aren't waiting for some disembodied experience sitting around on clouds or something silly but rather a restoration of our bodies in the same way that Jesus' body was resurrected and restored. Now, my chiropractor is interested in body health, and he said he was really looking forward to that. I was thinking, okay, that's interesting. What's on the other side of death, he said. Uh, I thought, well, I probably need to tell him the gospel at this point, don't I? So, So I said, well, God wants us to repent of our sins and turn to God, And to put our trust in Jesus, who has provided everything that we need for relationship with God. Uh, Now, evangelism is challenging at the best of times, isn't it? But uh, let me tell you, when your conversation partner literally has you by the back of the neck and is pushing your head into a hole in the table, uh, it's a little different. I'm not sure if he believed me, but that this repentance and faith thing was necessary. Not particularly popular these days, is it, to talk about repentance? I think he's hoping that if he lives a good life, he'll be okay. I think one of the reasons that you and I if love these healing miracles is that they're so tangible. We may not know or understand how it happened. You know, did the nerves knit together or the bones or muscles regrow instantly? Don't know really. But we love the fact that this man's disability is instantly removed. Not something he has to live with. Anymore. So what are you hoping for out of your faith? And what should we as the body of Christ be hoping for out of our faith? Are we hoping for a miracle? Is your body breaking down? Is there something growing in it that shouldn't be? Do you have friends or family members with disability, with disease? Or, or is it just bog standard deterioration? Well, today's, and and the question is, does today's passage tell us just to keep praying for that miracle, that those things will be fixed? Well, I believe it has important things to tell us about what we can be hoping for as God's people. I have three points and a question. The first point is, there's a new dignity. We have a new dignity. There used to be a party in South Australia, a political party called Dignity for Disability. Do you remember it? 
And I like that focus on dignity for people who have disability because exclusion of people with disabilities is undignifying for them. I'm a parent of a child with Down syndrome, Charlie, and I want to see Charlie. G'day, Charlie. How are you? Hello. I want to see Charlie participate in life. When he's, if he's left out, whether it's at school or in, you know, classroom or sport activities or in the home or, or wherever it is, it's as if he doesn't really belong with typically developing kids. But participation is dignifying. Even if it shows up some of his limitations. Charlie's just recently joined the basketball team and uh, he's got the job of, of doing the throw-ins. Uh, from the side, and he loves it, and the team loves that too. So just for a moment then, let's shift our minds back to first century Jerusalem. Okay, things are pretty different, but we find a man with a disability, and he's placed every day at the temple gate so that he can beg. Now maybe he's banned from entering because of his disability, or maybe it's just the best spot to get the most money to enable him to survive, but whatever the case, he's not just lame. He's a beggar. He's at the bottom of the social pile. Doesn't matter how you list things off. He's sitting at the beautiful gate, but his situation is ugly. He's he's got nothing to do that he can do with his life except ask for money. It's undignified. And I think he knows it because when he asks Peter and John for money, he doesn't look them in the eye. Where's he looking? He's looking down. He's looking at the floor. And his his head is down and he's holding out his hand, help for the poor, help for the poor, or however he puts it. But he doesn't look at them. Peter and John, though, they look straight at him and they say, hey, 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 look at us. Look at me. And so he does. And he looks up and he gives them his attention and he's expecting to get something from them. He doesn't know what it will be. And then what happens? Well, they break into song, don't they? Silver and gold have I none. Come on, we learned it before. But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. I really thought you'd sing that better, but anyway. uh, We had a good rehearsal then. Anyway, that is effectively what Peter says to him. I don't have any money. I've got something that I will give you though. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. So it's better than cash. It's stronger than human help, and it is cause for celebration. Peter takes him by the hand and helps him to his feet, and we're told, verse 7, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And you know what he does next? He goes right into the temple courts, and he's walking, and he's jumping around, and he's praising God, and people recognize him, and they're filled with Wonder and amazement. What's just happened? That's the same guy. That's him. When does this ever happen? And it was obviously just as rare back then as it is today. Probably even more rare back then because they, you know, we at least have medical intervention. Sometimes we do see people's situations change. This was totally rare except for the fact that many of them within recent years, would have seen Jesus doing exactly the same sort of thing. And now it seems that Jesus' disciples can, well, they can perform the same miracles as Jesus himself. What is this? This is amazing. 
They are representing him. Jesus' ministry is continuing through his disciples. Wow. Well, what do you think about all this leaping around? Is, is it necessary? And is it just a little bit undignified? It reminds me of a beautiful moment about a thousand years earlier in the same place, in Jerusalem. King David, the king of the day, he's bringing into Jerusalem, or it's being brought in with him, the Ark of God's Covenant. It was the symbol of God's presence with his people coming into God's city, and it was a momentous event. David is extremely glad about this, and this is how the first ever arrival of the Ark of the Lord comes into the city of the Lord. And this is how it's described in 2 Samuel 6. King David went to bring up the ark of God to the house of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a calf. Then wearing a linen ephod, a priest's outfit, David was dancing before the Lord, not tentatively. The word is with all his might. Imagine that. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city, his wife, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. She saw the king leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart because of it. Sometimes joy is frowned on, isn't it? And, and what do you like at expressing the joy of the Lord? You know, is it, is it the right thing to do? Is it a bit undignified? Well, I reckon we've got a new kind of dignity here. The new dignity is that God is amongst us and his power is bringing healing and he's restoring and he is worthy of all our praise and our jumping and bouncing around. That actually is human dignity because, brothers and sisters, it is what we were made for, to give glory to our maker. All right, point two. What else do we see? We see a new power, a new power. Word has blitzed the precinct and now all the people come running, verse 11, to the place called Solomon's Colonnade and Peter talks to everybody. He addresses the crowd and, and what does he say? He says, why does this surprise you? Well, this guy has never walked in his life. And now look at him, he can't keep still, he's bouncing around the crowd, the whole place. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Please be quiet, we're trying to listen to Peter. <laughs> I hope not. He, Peter says, it's nothing about us that made this man walk. The God of our fathers has glorified Jesus. That's the big news. That's interesting, isn't it? Notice the big news is not the healing. There's a new power at work. That's the big news. Parents who are expecting a child will often go and have an ultrasound uh, before, at some point in the pregnancy. And if you have a child with a disability, you often get to go to many ultrasounds. I remember our first ever ultrasound watching this creature underneath my wife's, my wife's skin, you know, deep inside. And there's this creature up on the screen. And you want to say, wow, isn't that, isn't that technology amazing? This thing gives you x-ray vision. You could see right inside. But I stop myself because sure, the technology is great, but what is inside the uterus right now is a billion times more amazing, isn't it? There are some little feet and fingers that are growing 
and there's a little heartbeat and there's the beginning of a new life. You don't want to miss the amazing thing in life and getting distracted by the thing that points you to the amazing thing. Peter says the really amazing thing is that God has glorified his servant Jesus. And so this ends up being a sermon not about the healing, but about, guess what? Jesus. And then Peter kind of ramps things up a bit and he says, you handed him over to be killed. This is, this is not the way we generally preach. You don't generally insult your audience when you're preaching. But he's just told them they've disowned him before Pilate, even though Pilate had already decided to let him go, verse 13. They've disowned God and God's holy and righteous one by asking for a murderer to be, a murderer to be released so that Jesus could be pinned on the cross, verse 15. What you've done is you've done everything in your power to kill God's anointed one. He was innocent. The court had already said that. And you wanted to free the brutal murderer so that Jesus could be crucified. This is a pointed message. This is not a polite day. You killed the author of life. Is this even possible? Is our depravity bottomless? Well, says Peter, God isn't pushed around. He raised him from the dead. And we, that is the apostles, have all witnessed this. These 12 pairs of eyes that you see here, they have all seen the risen Jesus. And you can't take this away. It is a fact. So it's a pretty punchy message, isn't it? He acknowledges, verse 17, that they had a level of ignorance, but they still need to repent, verse 19. It's the same with us, isn't it, in some ways? You know, we're historically removed from this and geographically removed. But this is an indictment on the human race that this happened. We too bear some need to repent. Now, is repentance good news or bad news? What do you think? The call to repent of your sin, is that good news? Or is it like, that's a bit uncomfortable, bad news... Please don't do that. Well, if someone's offended you, sorry, if someone you have offended, you've hurt them and they tell you that they want you to admit what you've done and to apologize and do things differently, what does it mean about their intentions for you? It means that they want restoration. They actually care about restoration. God obviously could blitz us for this. But the call to repent comes from God's love, his re-engagement with us, his ongoing commitment to the human race and to the universe. And what we have done to Jesus is actually not unforgivable, believe it or not, because of God's love and mercy. Turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out, says Peter, and that time's of refreshing might come from the Lord and he may send the Messiah, send him back again. God wants to refresh us, not burn us up. Restore us, not make us mincemeat. And that is the big news of the sermon. So what about the healing? What's the point? How is it even relevant? Well, verse 16 indicates, I'll read it in a second, 
that what the healing and the resurrection have in common is the idea of a new power. It's not the power of a nation, not the power of a personality, not the power of the courts, not the power of a mob. This is the power of a name. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. How can a name have healing power? It depends on whose name it is, isn't it? doesn't it? Well, Peter tells that the name of Christ is literally above every name. It's the name with absolute authority over all things. It's not just the boss name. It's the name that, when invoked, nothing in the universe can stand against its authority and power. Vibrantly powerful name because of whose name it is. Not even dead nerves in a spine can stand against this authority and power of Jesus' name. Why do we finish our prayers in Jesus' name? Well, it's because we're invoking his power to do these things that we've asked. Extraordinary, isn't it? Why is blasphemy in the name of Jesus so dangerous? Something you should warn your friends about. Please don't use Jesus' name. That's, that's really risky. Because of his authority and power over the whole universe, not just over a bunch of odd Christians. This is the creator's power and it's been unleashed in a person on the planet who rose from the dead. And it's that resurrection... It's in that resurrection that this power is unleashed against death itself and against wickedness of the world. And so Peter can say this, verse 26. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, the Jews that is, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The name of Christ is bringing salvation. And in the beginning of next chapter, next week I presume, We'll see what happens. This authority and the power of Jesus explodes the number of believers to 5,000 as a result of this very proclamation. So that's the name, a new name, a new dignity, a new name, and then finally a new everything. Peter promises, verse 19, times of refreshing. Does that sound good? Anyone here want times of refreshing? Not seeing many nods. I assume that you want times of refreshing. Does that sound appealing? Yeah, I'm getting more nods. (laughs) The wiping out of sin and the return of the Messiah and all of these are what he's pointing to in verse 21. Heaven must receive him or host Jesus until the time for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his prophets. See, there's more going on here. This new dignity and this new power are the initiation of a new everything. The prophet Isaiah had prophesied, See, I'll create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Imagine that. Be glad and rejoice, says Isaiah. I'm going to create a new Jerusalem. It'll be a delight. It's people a joy. There'll be no more weeping or crying heard in it ever again. 
Right there is our hope. It's not for a new car or a new phone or even for the, even for the pandemic to, go, to, be, to be past us, not insignificant as that is, or even for a new spinal cord. Our hope is for a new everything, brothers and sisters. New heavens and a new earth. Restoration of our lives. God's presence with us eternally. No fear, no pain, no disability. Do you want that? What are you hoping for? What are we hoping for as a church? I I include myself in what I'm about to say, um, but sometimes I think Christians aren't really hoping for anything. You know, many of us find ourselves, um, you know, it's not so hard to talk about Jesus of history and, you know, we believe the resurrection. Yes, that's true. But the idea of God's restoration in the future, of, of us rising from the dead, living forever, a new earth in God's presence forever, really, to, you know, do you sometimes find that hard to just kind of normalize? It is not normal, is it? It's, it is actually totally different from our experience. But I sometimes wonder if our uh, aspirations in life are more about managing life, managing the challenges that we have, rather than hoping for something better that he's already told us he's going to do and that he's demonstrated in the extraordinary life, death and resurrection of Christ that he's already begun. It's started. We are hoping for something better. Um, we, just, we just muddle through and we, don't, we sometimes don't get our expectations high enough. C.S. Lewis has this quote about our hopes and aspirations. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. So we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Well, before we finish, uh, what miracles should we expect today? It's probably a good question to answer, given that that's come up. A few things to say quickly. Firstly, miracles are signs of the Great Restoration. They're signs of an event. They're not the event. They're not the restoration itself. They were never the goal of Jesus' earthly ministry, never the main focus of Jesus' earthly ministry. Rather, they were the the platform from which salvation could be proclaimed. Peter, here in Acts 3, heals the man and then he turns and preaches about the great salvation and the mission. And it's the sermon that turns 2,000 more people to Christ, assisted by the sign. Should we expect it to be any different? Secondly, we cannot command miraculous healings like the apostles did. Jesus authorised the apostles in a special way. It didn't keep them out of strife, of course. didn't keep them out of jail. But they were able to bear witness to Jesus in word and power 
in a unique way. And of course, when we carry our New Testaments with us, we are carrying around with us their authorized witness, authorized by Jesus to tell us what happened. And our ministry is shaped by theirs and is in continuity with theirs and we inherit the Great Commission from them, but we're not directly authorized by Jesus as physical witnesses of the resurrection and everything else that Jesus did and said in the same way that the apostles were. So, you know, I do get a bit um, anxious when people sort of say it's about how confident you are or how much faith you've got as to whether you can do a miracle. Thirdly, God will not restore everything until Jesus returns. And that was the experience of the apostles too. Often we want miracles because we think they would be better than the restoration. And he might make you wait until you get that the right way around. Or it might make you wait until the restoration. We don't know. But God is giving time for people to repent because that's the big issue. Without repentance, people will not see this restoration. And so we preach repentance and faith in Jesus while there is time. Jesus' return will be too late. Fourthly, I I do want to affirm, though, that God will give us the prayer answers that we need. Christians receive many, many, many tangible answers to prayer. And in my work in CMS, I see lots and lots of them. And at our conference uh, in January, one of the things that we'll do in our evening session is just give you a list of significant prayers that have been answered and I assure you that list will be just the tiniest little bit of answered prayers. And, and including many miraculous prayers, God does this, even very recently in my own extended family. It's never wrong to pray to the healer for healing. And yet I've known people to have prayed for decades and not received what they've asked for. This can be hard and it can be a deep test to your faith. But continued prayer, of course, demonstrates continued dependence on him. And the prayer that says, Lord, I know that you understand all things, that's the prayer of faith. And so fifthly, quickly, the, if the message is the priority, then when we do have answers to our prayers, what do we do with them? We just get on with you know the busyness of life and forget our hope? No, we use our prayer answers to proclaim Christ. You know, what? like it's just such a great thing to be able to tell your non-Christian friends about the ways that God has answered your prayers. What are they going to do with that? Keep track of answers to prayers and tell others, including non-Christians. And don't tell them you had a helping hand from Jesus because that's telling them the wrong thing, isn't it? He's not our helping hand. Tell them that Jesus is coming back to give me not just you know, this answer to this prayer, but to give us a new everything. All right, well, let me wrap it up. We are smack in the middle of the unstoppable mission of Jesus to the whole world. It's a mission to you and your hearts, a mission to your families and contacts, colleagues, neighbours, friends, it's a mission to our church and to the, the, through our church to reach out into our local community. It's a mission to 
different parts of Australia where the gospel doesn't go yet because of the people groups and the challenges. And of course, it's a mission to the whole world. It's a great verse here on my left. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. There are over three billion people in the world who do not have someone who can go home to their own people and tell them what Jesus has done. The number of unreached people in the world is, is somewhere in the order of 43% or something. And that's not the partially reached people, it's not the, the superficially reached people, and it's obviously not the reached people groups. It's the completely unreached people who just don't have people who can go and tell them about Jesus. Mission is complex. It's a, a long and challenging thing, and what, what can we do? We've got, we're such a small part of the picture. But nevertheless, when we look at Acts, we see ourselves as part of this mission, that the mission is going to the world and that it's for the world's good. The world needs it, even the unreached people. Jesus' death and resurrection is the start, although, of course, it was promised from many thousands of years beforehand. A new dignity, a new name, a new everything. Acts 3 is a fun story. It's one of my favorites, um, but it's not just a fun story. It's a light shining at the future. And there's not much in our life or in our world that can give us a clear light, is there? That's our problem during COVID. We can't see what's about to happen even just in a few weeks' time, even a few days' time. We don't know what's going to happen. But there is hope. And we have this hope in the gospel of Jesus It's not just for a few people, it's for the whole world. But we must repent of our sin and we must turn back to God or we can't be part of this glorious future. There may be business that people need to do with God this morning or in the coming week. But for others of us, of course, we we may actually need, need to do a little bit more leaping and walking and praising God because if he can create the universe then surely he can restore the universe. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, we just thank you so much for all that you've done. You promised Christ from so long ago. And your people just just continually showed themselves to be in need of this Christ. And then you sent Christ and we killed him. But you knew this would happen and mysteriously it's part of your plan and you raised him from the dead and it became the initiation of the new age and it became the essence of our hope. And so humbly we come before you this morning reminded that we owe you everything but also reminded that this mission is still going on and that if you can continue your mission despite those hurdles... Well, nothing's going to stop it. And we just pray that you would use us as a church, use our families, our households, everything we have to grow Christ's name. And we pray it in his name. Amen.